Hey, I'm Steve Folland. Thanks for listening. This time, let's find out what it's like being freelance for copywriter Rachel Ingram. There was a period in my life when I was just basically getting home from work and starting work again. And I was just doing so much in the evenings and at weekends just to kind of build up a portfolio. And I was so determined that I wanted to work for myself that I didn't mind giving up my evenings and weekends for it. But I just thought I could just sit here miserably, indefinitely, waiting for the right moment. And then that moment might never really come. So I thought, I've just got to take the plunge and make a success of it. So there is Rachel, a copywriter based here in the UK, where I am as well. Uh, So our conversation coming up in a moment. Don't forget, beingfreelance.com is the website. Love you to check it out. On there, you'll find articles and the vlog. And also, we're heading towards 100 guests. So you can, it's not far away, take a look at all of those conversations. Take a listen to all of those conversations and sign up to the newsletter while you're there. As well. And as I like to say, it doesn't matter what they do, it's about the being freelance. I mean, sure, if you're a graphic designer, you're going to be likely to listen to the people who are graphic designers. But I'm, I promise you, if you're a graphic designer, you will also enjoy the photographer or the videographer or the copywriter or the social data analyzer. What, what was that one? It's a complex term. I've, I've forgotten it now. But the fact is, it's all about the actual business and the, the lifestyle that comes with being freelance so yeah do take a look and of course hit subscribe on whichever way you like to get your podcasts uh, so that you don't miss out on future conversations i've been recording loads recently so that they will keep coming all summer long fingers crossed so long as i edit them it won't be a problem uh, I've got so much going on. Uh, as as you know as well, I do the vlog. I mentioned it briefly there. You can see the the vlog is different. Instead of me chatting to another freelancer, uh, well, unless I go and meet for, for coffee, is actually documenting what I do as a freelancer, all the good stuff, all the bad stuff as it happens, which in a way I kind of wish I'd done years ago because, you know, I've changed the way I work so much over the last few years. But even in the past... I don't know what five six months that I've been doing it now because it was in December I started. It's um, it has evolved a lot and it's uh, yeah. Thank you so much for your comments on it. Always please do leave a comment, hit subscribe, turn on notifications so that you don't miss that as well. Right now though, I'll shut up and let's hear from Rachel instead. Rachel Ingram, who's the freelance copywriter in Worcestershire. Hey Rachel. Hello Steve. Hello. Thank you for doing this. Um, thank you for inviting me. So well, I'm looking forward to hearing all about it. So how about we get started hearing about how. How you got started being freelance? Yeah, um, I mean, it's kind of a long story. I've, I've always known that I wanted to work for myself. I've never really been happy working for someone else for various reasons. I just, um, I guess I'm better working independently. And when I left university, I was working at a holiday home advertising company. And it was there that I kind of discovered copywriting. And I hadn't really heard of it before, because it's not something that's ever kind of discussed at university as a, as a career option. <laughs> I mean, when I was at university, everyone was sort of bombarded with information about investment banking and management consultancy and that kind of thing. But copywriting was just never something that (laughs) I had ever really come across at all. What course Um, did you do? What what was your degree in? I did classical archaeology and ancient history. So, you know, it doesn't doesn't really sound very relevant to what I ended up doing, but um, it did teach me a lot in terms of things like deadlines and managing massive workloads and Mm. 
And that has actually stood me in really good stead. And of course, the research aspect. I spend a lot of my time now researching things that I've never sort of even thought about before. And definitely um, having had that experience of doing a degree in something like that, which requires a lot of research, that was really good preparation. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, so the, the Holiday Home Company kind of discovered that I was quite good at writing. So they just started giving me more and more writing stuff to do. And I was doing things like writing descriptions of locations where there were holiday homes and helping holiday home owners to sort of sell their properties a bit better to potential holiday makers. And it kind of went from there, really. I I then moved into digital marketing agencies where I was properly given copywriting work to do. And I sort of started to learn about managing clients and working with big names, big name clients that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to work with. And so I kind of started building up a portfolio. And then I kind of went into freelancing in my spare time. And then I did it full time. So that was how I ended up being a freelance copywriter. Cool. And so just to put it in perspective, how long ago uh, was it that you went freelance? Um, I went freelance in October 2013. So this is my fourth year freelancing now. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you said, you know, you start to build up a portfolio. Yeah. Uh, so so what you were writing on was the sort of thing that you can share, because I know that sometimes that's an issue for writers. And also for that matter, for people who work in an agency, mm. sometimes they can't even share the work they work in an agency. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there are sometimes limitations on what you can share because some clients insist on non-disclosure agreements. So it's very frustrating when you've done some work for a really famous client and you can't talk about it. (laughs) Um, But, you know, as long as it's sort of in the public domain, it's fine to sort of say you've worked with a particular company. And for example, some of the people that I worked with when I was working in agencies left me LinkedIn testimonials. So, you know, Uh. that's quite a useful thing Mm. to include in a portfolio because like one of them, for example, described in detail about the process that we'd used to work together. And to be honest, I find these days that potential clients are only really interested in your portfolio. So, I mean, I never really send a CV out or anything like that. Sometimes literally just saying the names of the people that you've worked with is enough for a lot of clients, potential clients. That's all they want to know. They want to see I was such and such as trusted me, so she mm. must be okay. <laughs> so how did you go about finding those first clients actually of your own? Um, well, having worked a lot in the digital marketing world, I had quite a lot of contacts already because I did a little bit of public speaking and I went to lots of conferences and things like that. I had also got involved a lot on Twitter with the sort of SEO and digital marketing world, which has a natural fit with copywriting. Um, so when I decided I was going to go freelance, actually quite a lot of people just came to me because they they sort of knew me from that world. Um, so pretty much everything has been word of mouth. Awesome. But also my website has been pretty important too. Yeah. So when you when you started out, like, because if people go and check out your website now, was that what it looked like? No. Pretty much. Okay. So, so what did you start out with and, and how did you evolve it? Well, it actually started out as a personal blog, which I used to talk about stuff that I've been up to or baking that I've done and stuff like that. Um, and then when I decided to start doing a bit of freelancing, I kind of adapted that website into a sort of semi-professional website 
And that kind of served for the first couple of years of freelancing. And then I decided it was about time I had a bit of an image update. So I completely redid the whole site, which took ages. <laughs> um, I did it all myself and did all the copy. And even though I'm a copywriter, writing copy about yourself is really hard. <laughs> yeah. So that took ages. And the, I, I'm really happy with how it's ended up. And it looks a lot more professional now. And I get, I guess that's what was needed. But I hang on to the old website and sort of just say on it that I've moved websites. So I've still got the search engine rankings for the old one. So I still get mm. traffic from both of them. It's a great website. Obviously, we'll put a link at beingfreelance.com. And, a, a, you know, a few things jump out at me because I was going to ask you about pricing mm. uh, and things like that you have a section already at the top there called rates so yeah. so you so you're really clear how, how have you worked on pricing um well to be honest the page that you can see there now is a lot less than I used to put on there I did used to have a, a whole ratings table which had prices for different things which they were just guideline prices because it's very difficult to price up a, a copywriting project because Obviously, it depends on how much time it's going to take to research. And in the end, I felt after about three or four years, I felt that listing individual prices like that was actually not the way forward because I found there was so much variation from one project to the next. So now I just list my hourly rate. But I basically work out prices for projects based on how much research I think they're going to take, how many edits are likely to be made. So kind of some clients will just accept whatever you write and it'll go straight on the website. Others want ma masses of edits and lots of different people involved in the editing process and that kind of thing. So it, it really does depend so much on the project. And that's, I would say, one of the harder aspects of freelancing is, is doing the pricing side of things. Yeah, so would you say that's just something that you figured out over time, as in um, oh, yeah. the whole revision, the revisions bit in particular? Yeah, I mean, you learn things the hard way, don't you? I mean, I've, I've underpriced quite a lot of projects and ended up them taking way longer than I was being paid for them. Um, and it's just through that, that process of trial and error, really, you, you start to get a feel for for the pricing side of things, I suppose. And then you offer packages as well. Yeah. Um, I kind of wanted to have some regular clients who come to me for a certain number of, say, blog posts each month. Because as you know, as a freelancer, you don't really have that much financial security. So um, you don't know what's going to be coming in from one month to the next. I thought having packages would be a good way of encouraging regular work. And that's turned out to be the case because I think a lot of clients quite like that they can just have something off the shelf hand in hand with pricing kind of goes the whole actually dealing with your finances mm. sort of side of it how have you found that um it's tricky when clients don't pay on time <laughs> that's probably one of the most challenging aspects but in terms of the actual practicalities of it i have an accounting system called wave apps which is free and it's fantastic. And I use it for all my invoicing and I track all my expenses through it as well. So when it comes to sort of tax return time, all I have to do is print off reports and invoices and expenses from WAVE. And that, that's just send it off to my accountant, basically. I have an accountant and I would definitely recommend every freelancer has an accountant because they're absolutely worth their weight in gold. So and then in terms of tax, I just save 25% of everything I earn for tax. Um, and everything else is basically saved or I splash it out on holidays. <laughs> Good move. 
um so you've had quite a few issues then with with clients what just paying late rather than not Um, paying at all well last year for the first time i had three people who didn't pay and that was very depressing (laughs) um Mm. but generally i would say probably half if not more of the of my invoices are not paid on time um and that so i just basically always make sure i have a kind of cushion in my bank account so I mean, when I first went freelance, I didn't have any savings or anything. I just wanted to take the plunge and just get on with it. And then not having the savings would sort of force me to make it a success. Mm. But now I've built up a bit of a cushion in my bank account so I can cope with people being late to pay. But it's just par for the course as a freelancer, I think. How do you deal with them? The accounting software has this feature where you can just send an automated reminder and that is really useful because it kind of detaches me a bit from the process. It just sort of adds a, an extra yeah. layer between me and the client because I find it, as I'm, I'm British, so obviously talking about money is <laughs> incredibly awkward <laughs> and I hate having to chase for invoices. So they get, I guess, two or three automated reminders and then at that point I would probably email them. But I have had it get to the point with one client a couple of years ago where I got my husband to phone them. And um, after this was after months of them not paying. And just having someone different phone made them pay immediately. <laughs> Jeez. So. <laughs> oh, it's so frustrating that you even have yeah. to do that. Yeah. Did, did, but did your husband pretend to be someone? Um, not, or did, no, not did he such. just say? <laughs> he just said that he was calling on my behalf and that Excellent. he was just chasing up an unpaid invoice. And he didn't say that he was my husband or anything, but... They paid immediately. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, that sucks though. Yeah. And yeah, it's kind of cool. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I'd rather not have to resort to that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Back to your website uh, mm-hmm. again as well. Bearing in mind that you didn't hadn't thought of copywriting as a career and had started off doing description stuff, how did you develop the sort of services that you were going to offer? Well, a lot of the kind of copywriting requirements at my digital marketing agency are things that I do now. So product descriptions, blog posts, other articles, even proofreading. So I guess it developed from there. But I also did a kind of freelance copywriting diploma, which took me through all the different kinds of copywriting that might be required of me, even stuff I don't do now, like radio scripts, and that, I suppose, I'd already got quite a lot of copywriting experience when I did the course, but I just wanted something uh, concrete to be able to put on my CV that shows that I sort of do know what I'm talking about with copywriting. I mean, mm. an actual qualification. I'm quite academic, so I like having qualifications and I like kind of <laughs> getting more stuff to put on my CV. So did you do that while you were at the agency? Yes, you said you you just kind of wanted to jump in with being freelance mm. so you didn't freelance on the side or anything yeah it simply I did. Was a, I oh, did, did yeah I did a bit in my spare time um, in fact I remember there was a period in my life when I was just basically getting home from work and starting work again and I was just doing so much in the evenings and at weekends just to kind of build up a portfolio and I, I don't think that well I do actually one of those part-time clients I still have now um, many years later, he still resurfaces from time to time to give me work. But it was more just having more examples, uh, more of a portfolio. And I was so determined that I wanted to work for myself that I didn't mind giving up my evenings and weekends for it. Mm. And how long was that crossover period then, would you say? Um, I guess a year or two. 
what, like a year of working on the side? Yeah. I, I can't really remember the exact time frames, but it must have been at least a year. So you were feeling pretty confident by by the time, or <laughs> you just run out of time. I need to quit my job so I can do, <laughs> do well, the rest of this. I wouldn't say I was feeling confident, um, but I just thought I could just sit here miserably indefinitely waiting for the right moment, and then that moment might never really come. So I thought I've just got to take the plunge and make a success of it. And, That's a great um, way of looking at it, yeah. Yeah, so, and luckily, the, the sort of gamble paid off. <laughs> so you said that most of your work had come through word of mouth. Yeah. Like, are you somebody who goes out to networking type things, or do you just sort of stay in your... Well, you mentioned speaking and things. I well, so that, yeah, that was the old days. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're I, quite I, comfortable, cocooned now. Well, I wouldn't say cocooned. Um in the old days, I when I knew that I wanted to go freelance and I realised that one of the things I was going to need was contacts, I did a lot of networking, just in terms of things like conferences, which were all through work anyway, um, and kind of evening networking groups. And I did a talk at one of those groups as well, and I had a few clients from that. But these days, I don't really, I don't know, I, I guess I'm less sociable these days because I just spend all my time at my desk on my own working. <laughs> the thought of actually going to some sort of networking group, frankly, terrifies me. So <laughs> any networking I do now is, I guess, on Twitter. But I, I haven't really found that it's something I've needed. Yeah, yeah. So you work from home? Yep, I do. So I've, some, there, I do sometimes go days without leaving the house. <laughs> So, so what does your day look like? Usually a reasonably lazy start, if we're honest. Sometimes I'm working at nine and sometimes it's later than that. To be honest, I do work harder since being freelance, but I feel like I don't because I have lazier starts to the morning. I don't have to commute and my day will largely be spent at my desk, but I can kind of take breaks to do housework or to do my hobbies or or volunteer work and things like that. So although I think I do work harder now, it doesn't feel like it, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So you're deliberately breaking up your day with those things. Yes. And I've I've reached the point now where if someone says, do you want to meet up for coffee? Or can I come in and do some volunteer work or whatever? I will just say yes. And work has to kind of fit around that, not the other way around. So I try to kind of maintain that kind of I guess work-life balance by by just committing to things and making work fit around them yeah that's good and then does that help you with your workload like having to do it that way around um yeah because it kind of focuses me a bit more the worst thing for me is when I don't have any deadlines and I've got bits of work that I know need doing at some point but there's no kind of set time period that they need doing I thrive on deadlines so I need to have deadlines to help me structure my time and then I've got a kind of planner where I put all the work in and when it's due and then I can kind of see what my week's going to look like and I try to fit that around fun things the fun things are good <laughs> can I ask like what your hobbies are um flying is the main one um flying yeah <laughs> flying planes flying planes yes and i'm also learning to fly helicopters um my husband has awesome. yeah my husband has a flying school so flying's a big part of our life so i fly planes with him and the helicopter stuff is something that i'm doing independently 
And it's just because I needed a new challenge, basically. I'm the sort of person who thrives on a challenge. And um, I didn't really have one in my life. So I needed something new and big. And this seemed to fit the bill perfectly. <laughs> That's so cool. Well, good good, <laughs> good luck with that. Thank you. I'm gonna, I will need it. <laughs> and holidays. You meant, so so you, no problem sort of like switching off. Well, you mentioned holidays earlier. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say no problem with switching off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I certainly find now that I can never switch off from emails, for example, because you never know, there might be an amazing new client emailing me who needs something doing urgently or who will go to someone else who replies quicker. So even if I'm on holiday, I'm still answering emails and I find that very hard to switch off from. And I have had holidays ruined before now because of that. Um, but I, we like to travel quite regularly, even if it's just for a weekend away or something. But I would be lying if I said that freelancing doesn't encroach on that. Yeah. So you, so you take so do you take your laptop with you wherever you go? No, I don't take my laptop, but I take my iPhone, which I'm constantly plugged into. Um, so it is difficult to switch off, definitely. Yeah, and ha- <laughs> this comes from somebody who, um, for the last two years, has taken a whole massive iMac in the back of the car. Oh my god! On our, on our summer holiday, <laughs> an well, iMac. It's, well, it's, yeah, because the trouble is, is that um, because I do video stuff, like my old laptop isn't like good enough oh, to I do see. anything on. Yeah. And so, if somebody comes to me and needs something, it's yeah. like I'd rather. It's quite nice just knowing it's there. And yeah. For the most most time, I lock it in like a cottages so we're not going camping i don't take it camping (laughs) that wouldn't really work i bet someone has yeah cool now what would you say that you took from because you said right at the beginning that you you always wanted to work for yourself Mm. but equally you spent that time for example working in agencies Mm. so what lessons did you learn from that time well, I don't think that I would have made the transition to freelancing quite so successfully if I hadn't had that experience of working for other people. Um, the main thing, I guess, was working in agencies is similar to being freelance in that you're juggling lots of different clients and you kind of learn how to interact with clients and you kind of get those skills of handling yourself in a meeting and being professional and uh, managing clients' expectations and things like that. Um, and I find that invaluable experience in you know every single day so I realized that and the portfolio side of things I needed to have that time working for someone else in order to make the transition I think if I'd started from scratch straight from university I would have really struggled yeah what would you say have been the biggest struggles of being freelance it's a difficult one really I guess um getting clients to pay on time (laughs) managing clients expectations and from a copywriting perspective it's very challenging turning some of this really complex material into something that anyone can understand so I mean I have to become expert on all sorts of things and I could be given for example an academic paper and I have to read the whole paper to be able to synthesize it into something that's accessible to a general audience Um, and that's really challenging and that's probably one of the most challenging aspects of my work, I suppose, but that's not really specific to freelancing. It's it's more my particular job. Yeah, and I guess that, as you say, is sort of 
factors into that whole when you're pricing a job because whilst you're giving your hourly rate mm. how do you deal with a client do you say well this job is going to take four hours or, or whatever yeah I would say I would give them an estimate of how long I think it will take and I say if it takes less time than that then obviously you'll be charged less but I rarely would I would rarely go back to them and say this is going to take a lot longer than I expected I generally tend to sort of suffer the the extra time um, because I feel awkward about saying, mm. you know, it's going to be more. Yeah. Now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself. Make yeah. two true and one a lie and let me figure out the lie. Okay. So what have you got for me? Okay. Well, when I was little, I wanted to be a train driver. I have an asteroid named after me. And wow. I have witnessed a huge forest fire. Oh, man. <laughs> you have an asteroid. So what's the asteroid called? The asteroid is called 674 Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> and how come you have an asteroid named after you? Like, um, and do, do you get like a map of where it is so you can keep tabs well, on it? Well, it's always in a different place, isn't it? So, <laughs> um. <laughs> I, guess, I guess it is. That's very true. But is it official? Like technically, yeah, you know. Yeah, official. Wow. So there's an asteroid called Rachel. There's a forest. A forest. So you witnessed a forest fire, did you say? Yeah, that was quite an experience. Where was that? Um, when I was at university, I was on an archaeological dig in Greece. And it was the middle of the summer and it was about 42 degrees during the day. Um, and one weekend, a few of us went to the local town to do some shopping. And the whole air was filled with ash the whole place was, it was like raining ash and there was smoke filling the sky. And then after nightfall, we went up to the dig site and the whole hill was on fire and it was like seeing a volcano. And luckily the wind changed and it didn't reach us, but we were being told you've got to have your passports next to your bed and some water. Um, <laughs> and so it was a very real prospect that the town was going to get enveloped. <laughs> And you wanted to be a train driver. When you were how old? Um, it's hard to say an age. <laughs> I guess, I don't know, six. You see, look, here's the thing. Is that so? Why would you make... Like, so many six-year-olds wants to be train drivers. Mm. Six-year-old girls. Well, you say that, but I, I currently have a, a... Well, she's now four, but a three-year-old girl who... I, she was once in the paddling pool outside, arms stretched out in front of her, legs flailing behind her, and I went, oh, what are you, a mermaid? And she went, no, I'm Iron Man. <laughs> so, I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, in my head, yeah, you could be a train driver. Uh, asteroid... Ast so why would you make... The other two facts are so good, but I want them to both to be true, which makes me say train driver isn't true. And yet train driver, why would you make that up? When the other two are... There's such extreme diversity between the substance of the facts. I don't think... I don't think you have an asteroid named after <laughs> Oh, I wish it were true, but you're right. Oh, Wow! <laughs> I thought I was going to lose. No, there yeah, is actually an asteroid called 674 Rachel, but unfortunately it's not named after me. <laughs> Lying does not come naturally to me, so I'm, I'm not surprised that you guessed the, the lie there. You did very well. So, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Trust your instincts when it comes to turning down work, because 
after four years of freelancing, you kind of develop a bit of an instinct for which clients are going to be difficult and kind of not really worth the aggro. And when you first start out freelancing, you don't want to turn anything down. You're just afraid that if you turn this down, then nothing will ever come again to you. But I think there's a lot to be said for saying no. And that's something that I've learned the hard way. So that's what I would tell my younger self. Is it hard to put into words like what that instinct is, like what the, the warning signs are? Um, yeah, I suppose um, there are a few warning signs, like wanting you to do free samples, for example. That's always a bit of a telltale sign. And being very demanding about deadlines and setting all the terms so that everything's on their terms. I think a good freelance client relationship is a relationship of equals and mutual respect. And if someone approaches me and basically says, this is how it's going to be and starts making lots of demands right from the word go, then that suggests to me that this isn't going to be a very equal relationship. And sometimes it does work out, but more often than not, it's led to a lot of, I don't know what the word would be, stress, I suppose. Mm, those are good. Yeah, good flags. And have you had instances where people have tried to negotiate, renegotiate your fee, for example? Oh, yeah, <laughs> that happens quite often. But I guess that's another thing you learn from freelancing for any period of time that you've got to stick to your guns, because if you don't value yourself, then no one will. Check out beingfreelance.com where you'll find links through to everything that Rachel is up to. You can check out her her site as well, of course, what we were chatting about. Tell somebody else about the podcast so that they can go and check out all the uh, nearly 100 guests that we've got chatting about being freelance uh, now. But Rachel, it sounds like you're doing cracking stuff both with your work and with your life, which is very exciting. Uh, but yeah, all the best being freelance. Thank you very much. And thank you for inviting me. 